This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, Emily Griffiths Hamilton will join us to talk about her new book, Your Business, Your Family, Their Future, and how to plan to make any family enterprise a lasting success. This should be very interesting, and we look forward to your calls and comments, too. In our second hour today, lawyer Kyla Lee from the Acumen Law Group returns with lots more information on Canada's new impaired driving laws and how the changes might affect affect you. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And our lead story today is just plain strange. Vancouver Coastal Health, VCH, is warning us of a person fraudulently advertising his services as a surgeon. Vancouver Coastal Health says someone named Aston Nguyen Fong Nguyen, or Dr. Nguyen Nguyen, has been advertising his services as a surgeon operating out of Vancouver General Hospital and asking prospective patients to pay him with a deposit for their surgery. While they say this person has no affiliation with Vancouver Coastal Health, is not registered with the College of Physicians and Surgeons, and is not authorized to practice medicine in our province. Patients who have paid this guy a deposit for surgery are asked to contact the College of Physicians and the cops. VCH Vancouver Coastal Health also reminds you that anytime you want, you can verify any registered physician or surgeon's qualifications, credentials, and affiliations simply by conducting a search on the college's physician directory. Fresh on the heels of the all-clear announcement on romaine lettuce, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency has updated a salad recall warning that was issued on December 14th due to possible listeria contamination. Now, the industry is recalling Eat Smart brand salad shake-ups. These are single servings from the marketplace. Consumers should not eat the following Eat Smart brands packaged salads with the best before date of today, December 29th. They are salad Shakeups Tropical Lime, Salad Shakeups Asian Sesame, and Salad Shakeups Sweet Kale. Foods contaminated with listeria may not appear to have anything wrong with them. However, foods contaminated with the bacteria may result in severe illness or even death. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency has uh, says there haven't been any reported illnesses associated with the consumption of this product at this time. If you have it, get rid of it. Users awoke to a very different Instagram look on Thursday morning, and they were not amused. The feed design had been altered from the standard vertical scrolling to a new horizontal story-like design, more like Tinder. The update made tapping the left or right side of the screens the only way to reveal new posts. So the internet flocked to Twitter using the hashtag InstagramFail and wondered how to change back to the previous familiar version of the app. And after tons of complaints, came pouring in the automatic update was reversed for all users the head of instagram tweeted a response said the drastic change was a very small test that well went broad by accident adding the company is always trying new ideas usually on a much smaller scale Okay, let's talk gas prices for a moment. Despite a brief oil price rally on Wednesday, average regular gasoline prices remain, now check this out, remain about 17 cents lower per liter than a year ago in Ontario and Alberta, 12 cents lower in Manitoba, 
six cents lower in Quebec, 11 cents lower in Nova Scotia, three cents lower in Newfoundland and Labrador. Notice how so far there's no mention of British Columbia. GasBuddy.com's Dan McTagg says extreme volatility in oil markets are expected to continue to wreak havoc on gasoline prices in Canada, especially in the early part of next year. McTagg says prices here in B.C. are up to two to six cents a litre compared with the same time last year. This would be the only province that has an up instead of a lower. Uh, the uh, This is just a few cents uh, compared to last year. Uh, a lot of this would uh, maybe be different if not for the effect of interruptions in fuel imports from Washington due to the outli- outage rather of the Olympic pipeline. And the holidays can be a tough time to stay sober. Booze is just everywhere through the entire month of December. And that can be particularly difficult for people who struggle with addiction. Recovery Day BC has an answer for the very trickiest of nights to avoid alcohol and other drugs. This December 31st, it's hosting a clean and sober New Year's Eve party sponsored by Last Door, Westminster House, and the Orchard Recovery Center. They'll ring in 2019 Monday with the time benders, couple of DJs, tickets 125 bucks. that's for dinner and dancing, or just 25 without the meal. It's all going down at the Anvil Center on Columbia Street in Westminster, which conveniently is right across the street from the new West SkyTrain station. Proceeds support Recovery Day. More deets at recoveryday.com. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at some more as the show goes along. But coming right up, we'll meet Emily Griffiths Hamilton, who's here to help you make your family business a lasting success. And welcome back to the program this soggy Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. It's our last program of 2018, and uh, it's a good one. Uh, a real pleasure to welcome our first guest to the program. Uh, and I'm quoting from her website, and I believe this to be true. She says, I believe that every family, no matter how complicated, has the ability to build a lasting legacy for itself. All you need is the right Roadmap. The person who has written the book, Your Business, Your Family, Their Future, How to Ensure Your Family Enterprise Thrives for Generations, is with us this afternoon. A pleasure to welcome Emily Griffiths Hamilton to Vancouver Consumer. Hi. Hey, hi, Sterling. Great to be here. Thank it's, you. It's lovely to have you with us. This is your second book. You had another one about five years ago called Build Your Family Bank. And uh, talk to us about that. Give us, an, uh, uh, give us a look at the new one through the old one, because this has become required reading in some schools in the UK. Uh, correct. Thank you so much. So the first book, Build Your Family Bank, actually deals with the management of family wealth, but most specifically how it relates to the family members themselves. The second book, Your Business, Your Family, Their Future, deals with the transi- transition of a family business. Um, But the two books together give guidance to multi-generational family members on the management of both the family wealth and the family business. Okay, now let's uh, let's sort of define the family business because mm-hmm. I, uh, in my opening remarks, uh, basically said if you have a family enterprise mm-hmm. underway, then you should probably uh, want to turn this up when Emily hits the airwaves mm-hmm. here because she's been involved in a family business yourself. The Griffiths family is well known in Vancouver with the Canucks and the Grizzlies and General Motors Place and all of those other actors, BCTV, all of that stuff. So you you come from that. Back background. Uh, when you were a kid growing up in this dynamic entrepreneurial uh, environment, were you uh, drawn into it early in life? Um, I was definitely drawn into the, the business aspect of it. I don't think I understood at the time 
what the what the family aspect of it was. It was just business as normal for us at, at the dinner table. What I would say, though, is that when we look at family businesses today, and this is the research that's come out in 2000, so this is information we didn't have at the time. You know, 30 years ago, we didn't know what we know today. And mm-hmm. what we know today is that 70% of family business transitions fail in each generation. And what we further know about that is that the reasons for their fail are due to things like inattention, incompetence, miscommunication, foolish expenditures, and family feuding. Mm. So they're all factors that lie within the family itself. And what we further know now, based on this research that, again, was about 2000 by the Williams Group, is that the primary causes for breakdown of family businesses and the, the dissolving of those family businesses is a are due to 60% are due to breakdown of communication and trust in the family, 25% because the heirs are unprepared or the next generation is, has unmanaged expectations and are unprepared for their future potential roles and responsibilities. And finally, the majority of the remaining, of the 15%, 12% is due to families not having a shared vision or shared objectives or shared goals. And finally, the last 3% of why plans break down are, are due to the work, the traditional work of our accountants and lawyers. So what that tells us is that our accountants and lawyers do a really good job right. with the structures and that they set up. If they are, they're only responsible for, th- for 3% of the demise of all family businesses. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. Okay. They still fail in spite of them. It's due to the family factor. So okay. that's what these books really deal with is the family factor. I suppose, Emily, the classic Canadian example of the family business that isn't succeeding, and this is coast to coast, is the family farm. Hmm. I come from a long line of southern Ontario dairy farmers, and most of my cousins want nothing to do with their heritage and where where they came from. Um, I can think of an example of seven children. One of my family's oh, cousins, there are seven kids in that family. Do you think dad could find one to take over the family farm, not a chance. And that's not unusual. Yeah, so and, and that's not unusual. And, and and I would add there, too, that my husband comes from a family of cranberry farmers on Vancouver Island. Okay. So other than my husband, every other member of his family are also farmers. So I, I have that experience also. So sitting. there's a dynamic family farming business that's still very much uh, alive. Exactly, okay. exactly. And uh, when it comes to those things transitioning, it's not a fail it's not considered a fail if you reformat the family business. So, for instance, when you referred to my family, I can trace back two generations to my grandfather, who was Dr. William Ballard, who was a veterinarian and invented, in the height of the Depression, canned dog food, right. which at that time was a big deal. And um, subsequently, in the next generation, we had a reformatting of the family assets. And you referred to my father, who was in media and sport and entertainment. Right, So. Sure. Then we get to the next generation, and there were factors that went on behind the scenes. They were, they were financial factors in terms of interest rates and uh, interest rates and foreign currency, and a lockout that resulted in my brother Arthur and I selling out of the sport and entertainment industry, and we reformatted. So, in the case of my husband and I, we've reformatted into the financial markets and real estate. So that's not considered a fail. That's just a reformatting. So when it comes to the family farm, it's looking at the next generation sure. and having the conversation. And that's often, I think, I come across families who are working on their wills and estates, and they go in and the lawyers are setting up trusts and structures and hold codes and all these sort of things. But it's having that, and they will say, you know, what about the next generation? That's common. And the families don't know where to start that conversation. Sure. 
What percentage of family members are, based on your research and your experience, actually stick with the program and go forward as part of the family business versus the other brothers and sisters who go off into their own careers and want nothing to do with whatever the enterprise was? Yeah, so in in my case, I would say that the families, certainly the families that I've worked with, is that they're meeting with me because they want to continue. But here's the really interesting thing. A family enterprise, by definition, is three components. So it's the family plus the family business ownership plus family business management. Right. So what that means is that in your next generation, for instance, in the farm, let's just say in the farm, you might have in the next generation, let's say there's three children in the upcoming generation and you've got a butcher, baker, and a candlestick maker. Okay. None of them want to be farmers, uh, right, but yeah. they're still interested in the farm. You can outsource management. Most family businesses often find by the second and third generation that the business is run by someone completely different. It doesn't uh-huh. have to be the family members in there. You don't need to there. get up and do the milking at 5 o'clock it, every morning. Exactly. <laughs> it gets Somebody else can do that for you. <laughs> exactly. But it, it based on the revenue, that the, the potential that the farm itself is capable of generating. Correct. Okay. Correct. You have to understand the numbers, uh, clearly. Um, so... Eventually, down the road, management gets professionalized. And ownership, we often tangle ownership and management to be the same thing in a family business or a family enterprise. But when we pull the two apart, we see that in succeeding generations, management can be professionalized, but ownership still needs to be paid attention to. And it's a critical role that the family plays is in ownership. Right. And a wonderful example would actually be my dad. So when you think of my dad, he was a chartered accountant and he practiced in public accounting until he was 58. So vast experience on the side of his working in public accounting, he was building this media enterprise right. and, and the ownership of the Canucks, et cetera. And what he was, was a brilliant owner. He didn't manage any of those things. He wasn't the CEO of any of those enterprises or he organizations. He was the owner, but it was ownership's more is about far more than just having the shares in your pocket. Mm-hmm. It's about setting the values and the vision for the organization and then ensuring that, that the management is meeting up to the values and vision for the business. Let's let's take this conversation down to the neighborhood level. Let's talk about a family who's got a, a restaurant. And uh, it was, you know, it was handed down one generation. The second generation is now running. It was started by uh, dad's parents back in the 50s. So now there's uh, dad and mom are running it. And there's some kids coming along. And it's a, it's, it's a reasonable success. And it's the firm desire of the person who started it in the first place that this stay a family enterprise for as long as possible. So what in terms of establishing that roadmap, Emily... In any family business, what's rule number one? Yeah, rule number one is starting with a conversation about your values, your family shared values. So uh, that doesn't have to be, it's not a formal conversation. And I love your example of the family restaurant. Because for instance, in my family, my husband and I, we have two children and how we first had that specific conversation, they were about, I want to say our boys are about 18 and 22. It was over dim sum one weekend. I had them prep beforehand, come to the table and tell me what you think. I'm, I'm interested in your opinions. Absolutely. What is the value of this family? It's as simple as that. Where families often get tripped up is they try to start by having conversations about the business, about the family restaurants, or about the money. Right. That's not where you start. What's you, a family all about, first and foremost, You right? start with, exactly. And, and then that should be a non-contentious conversation. You're just looking for positive 
values within the family. The second part of that step and, and that roadmap is what's the vision? What do you want to achieve together? What What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this family business? What's the purpose of this restaurant? Of course, you're paying attention to the numbers in the sense is there's no point in keeping something if we're, we're going broke doing sure, of it. Of course, right. But so that but aside we're is something. Assuming, we're making a few bucks. Yeah, exactly. So now we know who we are. Now we know what role this plays in our family. The next thing we do is we have to assess the assets in our family. And that's where interesting in the 21st century, we've so narrowly defined the wealth in the family to be the financial wealth, whereas reality, we have we are all much richer than we think. Our real wealth in our family is the human and intellectual. It's the family members. So now we're having these conversations with, with the real assets in the family. The money can come and go. The businesses can come and go. Right. But it's the family, each being dynamic wealth creators, that is, that is the key. The next step after that in the roadmap is creating policies, policies before need. I listened to your uh, interview last weekend with the lawyer who was talking about having policies in place mm-hmm. at, at the company Christmas party. Oh, and sure. That. Yes. Yeah. Um, and a little difference here is that it's most effective if you create the families with, create, sorry, create the policies with the family members. Have them create the policies because then they'll buy into the policies. Well, sure. Once you under, identify the, the sort of pr- the basic values, then the policies sort of form themselves on top of that. And it's easier to buy in, right? Because values and vision direct decisions. Uh, not a lot of time before the news break, but let's try in a minute or less. What about those reluctant family members who, who not you're not going to drag anybody in kicking and screaming, that's not what you want. But how do you sort of bring on those who aren't too keen in the first place? And, and it's a wonderful question. It's very common. And so there's no point in waiting for someone who's not willing to, to come along, and that's fine. They're still welcome to Sunday dinner. They're still wel- welcome to Christmas and New Year's celebrations, but they don't need to have a voice in the family business ownership. Okay, so if a person opts out, oh. uh, respect that decision, yeah. and and move on. It doesn't mean they're ostracized. No. It just means they're not part of the enterprise any longer. Or that aspect of the enterprise, absolutely. They're still part of the family. Of course, of course. And is the door open for that person to reverse that decision uh, down the road? And very common, 100%. There, we all go through stages in life, and there are stages where we're off. For instance, the, the, the children that grow up and they're active in the business – and then maybe they go on to university and they perhaps go into to medicine and they have to go through the long hours of the medical degree in that. And then they can come back to the business afterwards in an, in an ownership role if they're practicing. Interesting and, stuff. The book is Your Business, Your Family, Their Future. How to Ensure Your Family Enterprise Thrives for Generations. It's written by Emily Griffiths Hamilton, who is our guest on Vancouver Consumer. And welcome back to the show. Sterling Fox with you this Saturday afternoon, joined in studio by Emily Griffiths Hamilton, whose new book is called Your Business, Your Family, Their Future, How to Ensure Your Family's Enterprise Thrives for Generations. We promised we'd open up our phone lines. Let's do that right now, Andrew. 604-280-9898. Any thoughts or comments or questions if you're involved in a family business that may or may not be going in the direction you'd like to see it go, perhaps uh, Emily's experiences might be useful in terms of uh, setting uh, setting help, go, go do a course correction. <laughs> 604-280-9898, star 9898 on the cell connection. Uh, one of the things that you talked about is in terms of successful family businesses is is the emphasis that you place, Emily, 
on the people involved. Rather than going for formulas, uh, profit and loss and assets and liabilities and all of that kind of stuff, your first priority is the people and getting everybody in the family on side, on the same page. Yes, and, and, and that's because we pay we already pay so much attention to the quantitative side, which which is the number side. And I guess I understand, you know, as a chartered accountant myself, I understand that side very well. But it's very easy to let the qualitative side go. And that's where I talk about uh, setting up a structure, a family framework or a governance structure, something within family, how you're going to make decisions. So once you've got, as we mentioned earlier, the values and vision, and we're having the conversations with the family, what it is we want to achieve, there are certain predictable things in the future that families will likely have a problem with. Such as one person, perhaps the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the father of the family, not being a particularly democratic-minded individual, and this is you know, my way or the highway, the business is been started by my grandfather and it's going to continue this way until I die and maybe even beyond. And there's not a lot of what you call flexibility in that game plan. No, there isn't. But one thing I really make it an impassioned plea to families about is that is that grandfather can still have ownership. That's a structure. That's a legal thing. They have 100% of the shares. They own 100% of the shares. But at the same time, father, grandfather looks out to the next generation and says, well, how are you going to be able to run this? Well, we have to start giving the next generation a voice. So one of the things I talk about is earning a voice. So, so grandfather isn't sitting there thinking, well, okay, just because you're blood related doesn't mean you have a voice in the family business. You have to earn a voice. So that's one of the key policies to have in place beforehand so that grandfather knows that the people stepping out to the table and weighing in on the conversation is like an advisory board. They still don't get to make the decision, but they get to have a voice. And then they're learning because then grandpa can look back and go, well, that's an interesting point, son or daughter. Right. But what about this? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? That's how the next generation starts to learn. You know, one of the best examples of a family business that just went completely sideways, familiar to most Canadians, is the Eaton family. Remember those Eaton's department stores? You used to have them all over the country. They were really nice. <laughs> and the, the Timothy Eaton, uh, fa- there's a church named after him in Toronto. He's a scion of upper Canada society and all of that back in the late 1800s. And and, and, and the, the, bam- the family business lasted about 100 years. And then all I can remember is the last generation of playboys and car racers who wanted nothing to do with the family's retail business that had made untold millions. All they wanted to do was spend the profits. And it went, it's disappeared. When was the last time you were in an Eaton store, Emily? 20 years, maybe? And it just went, it, it's boof, and, it, it disappeared. And it's not an uncommon story. So no matter the magnitude, so you could be talking about the Eatons, you could be talking about the Vanderbilts, or you could be talking about the mom and pop store around the corner that has that has financially supported a family for 10, 20, 30, 50 years, suddenly going poof overnight. Right. And it doesn't need to go poof overnight. And regrettably, again, the common thing that happens is we keep recommending the same structures, those trusts. They, especially when we think of things like the Eatons and the Vanderbilts, the trust structures, and we'll just control everything in a trust structure or right. set up hold codes and complicated structures. And yet, the people still make foolish expenditures, miscommunicate, family feuding. It's the same scenario. 
So a fam- the Family Feud is not a TV show for no reason, you know, and it's not one of the more successful game shows for decades for no reason. The Family Feud is a real thing. And in a family business, when you're connecting your livelihood with you know, well, all the emotional baggage and you know your siblings better than anyone else in the world, you know how to, you know how to press the buttons that turn mm-hmm. them just crazy. Uh, so that kind of uh, family feuding is very destructive, it, I would think. It's very destructive. And, and, and certainly when you look at the next generation, typically what happens is when children are growing up in a family, it's, there's a certain amount of competitive, competitiveness mm-hmm. between family members. Mm-hmm. That's pretty normal. And then you grow up and, you know, we all have to get through those years and we become adults. So one of the trick in family enterprises is for the next generation the siblings themselves or for the parent generation to see the children as the adults they've become as opposed opposed to the children they were. Sometimes we hang on to those stories of who Johnny or Susie were as young teenagers as opposed to the adults they've they've grown into. And once we see them as the adults they've become, it's much more powerful. The other thing the next generation has to learn to do is work as a team. They've often seen the family business leader being a solo, as you say, a scion, sort of domineering individual. Oh, sure. And, and that's great. That's what they've had to do to bring those dreams to life. It's incredible what they've done. And then the next generation has to learn how to work as a team. So that's part of this work when they get together to create these policies. It's, it's as much about the policies they create as it is about the time they spend together creating the policies and, and, and how and, they're going to work together. And, and the whole business of recognizing adults for being adults is really mm-hmm. critical, too. Because, of course, the competitive sibling competition never stops, no matter how old you are. I still race against my brother every <laughs> time I get a chance. But, you know, and that's fine. That's fun. But then you get into moments where, you know, well, uh, you know, dad's um, getting on. We're going to mm-hmm. need a new company president here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm the oldest. I'm going to be the president. No, you're not. I've got the business degree and all the acumen. I'm going to be the president. No, wait a second. And off you go into some weird emotional tangent that just drains the energy out of the business. And and that's exactly, you nailed it right on the head, Sterling. That's exactly why you create policies, policies before they're needed and can become emotional. And that's a classic example of one, which is employment in the family business. Right. Others would include compensation. That's another hot button topic. Conflict resolution. Defining family. In today's world, it's not as simple. Who's, who's going to be a family member? So there are predictable problems in the future that families can work on solving today. Okay. And uh, by way of providing guidance to families, particularly when you have these emotional turbulent moments, what uh, and you've had a few in your own family, so you've been through this stuff. It's interesting that you would write uh, from the, the perspective of personal experience in addition mm-hmm. to doing the academic work around it. It really must have helped make this uh, almost a labor of love. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> that, yes. So what advice do you have for those uh, family feud moments? Especially the parents. The parents have got to step in when their children, who are in their perhaps 30s or 40s, are behaving like they were in elementary school all over again. Somebody has to be the adult in the room. Yeah, the family feud moments, that's, that's, a, that's exactly why I get called into other families. Not necessarily because there's a feud on the go, but it's a facilitator of those conversations. Right, so, I'll bet you do. So we can head those feuds off. So what's the methodology? So the methodology is, again, starting building trust within the room first and communication. So my methodology actually is that I would, I spend my first meeting and I spend a segment talking about communication and strengthening communication. 
I won't go into that here, but spending just some time pointing out where we often trip up in communication. Um, as an example, uh, um, triangulation is a very common thing in families. So that's, let's say, let's say, Sterling, you and I are siblings, and Dad's in the room, and you and I have a problem, and one of us goes to Dad. That's triangulating. He can't do anything about the problem. The problems we, we're grown-ups, the problems between you and I, we need to solve that. Right, okay. Parents get trapped in that. Because, you know, certainly you have children, I have children. When our children were growing up, we have to do that because we're teaching them how to resolve conflict. Right. As our children become adults, we have to be able to look at them as parents and say, I know you've got this. I trust you can figure this out. But every time we run to dad, though, or mom or dad with our problems, it weakens trust within the family because then we don't know who's going behind whose back. And it it also weakens dad's trust in us to be able to handle our own problems. And, and then you, why would dad want to let go of the business if we, we can't work out our problems? If you can't be trusted to take it over, why, even though he should have retired five years ago, is he still working? Because he doesn't trust the team Correct. to step in and just pick up the ball and keep him moving down the field. Correct. So, uh, and of course, it's tough call for parents because parents yeah. are, to their last moment, parents. And they get a chance to parent no matter what age they may be, it's tough to do. Oh, you know, if I could just get in here and meddle a little bit, I'd love to do that. Uh, because, you know, that's what parents do. Now, it's not intentional meddling. It's just what their version of parenting is. Well, I can get in the middle of this argument and maybe square things on both sides. Well, maybe the adult should just do that, mum. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and I've, I've been in that exact same situation, clearly with my own family. So being able to step back and go, it's okay. I trust them. They've got this. So that's often a case of moving the family to the next thing where the parents start asking them questions as opposed to telling them what to do. Ask the question, well, what do you think would be the resolution? Go give it a try. Right. Right. And of course, in in many entrepreneurial situations, it's the younger generation that helps the business move forward because perhaps the older ownership level is pretty content with what they've got. Thank you very much. But in order to move it to the next level, to keep it current, to keep new shoppers coming in the door, new patrons coming in the door, you're going to need to do new things to refresh whatever your business offers its clientele. And in many cases, it's the younger members of the family that go, geez, we got to freshen this up. Yeah, and it's great, actually, that we have a younger generation coming along that does seem to have a stronger voice than we maybe saw 30, 40 years ago, Mm -hmm. and that's a really wonderful thing. And you've hit on something there, and that's that the world is changing faster today than it ever has before in the past. Things we're doing today are going to be so different than what we're doing even a year from now, let alone five years from yeah, now. Yeah, who, who, for example, would have imagined a restaurant needing a website? Come on, we got the best food in town. Get out of here with your internet. Uh-huh. Well, guess what? You need a website uh-huh. and the best food in town. And the wonderful thing about that next generation, especially if they've earned a voice, and then we can turn around and ask them questions. What do you think about this? What would you do here? What what do you see on the horizon? What what do you see on the horizon? It's so interesting. I'm I'm always amazed. I, amazed isn't the right word. I'm always delighted with the content 
when I'm working with other families that the next generation offers to the conversation because you are absolutely right. What often brings a family to where they are today if they've had some success with their business is that they have been agile and nimble and that next generation is exactly the fresh air they need to stay competitive in the 21st century. And it's it's also about generational respect, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, of course, every generation has its flaws and foibles. Mm-hmm. Lord knows we all do. But, you know, we also manage to, well, we're still part of the same family, yeah. for one. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's not automatic that because you're, 25, you ha- you, you're just not old enough to have a good idea yet. Yeah. You know, that's just, that's not, it's not on anymore. Yeah. Ideas can come from any- anywhere. And yet at the same time, we touched on earlier about the role of elders. And you've got someone who's having a hard time letting go. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest rephrasing that for those individuals, because of course it's hard to let go. This has been your life, their purpose. They've built something quite often out of nothing. It's amazing what they've done. Mm-hmm. So rather than thinking... And you hear of- stories about, you know, the old man still gets up and puts on a tie and goes and sits in his office every day for two or three hours. He wouldn't know what to do if he couldn't do ah, that. I'm, I'll and be the that- company's functioning off, but he's still at work every day. <laughs> and and is brilliant. So so rather than looking at letting go, let's find a, a way to reinvent them, right? What role, what other role can they play? So one of the things I talk about with families is that if they're looking for a reinvention, sometimes when parents, when we're young parents and our children are young, we're so exhausted by the day-to-day of our jobs and parenting and the scheduling and, and all that sort of stuff that mm-hmm. these conversations about values and vision can can easily slip by the wayside. So that's a wonderful role for elders to get involved with. And also in the area of philanthropy, that's another wonderful area that they can exercise some real have some real input in and give them a sense of purpose right and, and it's also in in a sense of spending a career and a lifetime amassing some kind of enterprise that turns out to be somewhat successful and you get the chance to give back in some way that's enormously fulfilling he, uh, absolutely and not only is it fulfilling but when we talk about we have to prepare the next generation, it's also a wonderful way to bring the next generation, have the conversations about values and vision, and then we can start working on a purposeful philanthropic plan. So they start working on how to make decisions. They have to be philanthropic, but they're very similar to a business decision. So we're educating them. Uh, the website, friends, is buildyourfamilybank.com. <clears throat> And it is the website of Emily Griffiths Hamilton. And both books are on there because there was another book called Build Your Family Bank. And the new one just out uh, recently, Your Business, Your Family, Their Future. How to Ensure Your Family's Enterprise Thrives for Generations. Good stuff. Thanks for coming by. It's good to meet you. And perhaps we can have more of this conversation down the road. I'd love it. It would be my pleasure. Thank you so much, Sterling, and everyone. There's Emily Griffiths Hamilton. Happy New Year to you and your family, by the way. Thank you so much. You too. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Emily Griffiths Hamilton for a very informative visit and the good news that you don't have to be a Weston or a Thompson to be part of a successful family multi-generational business. We'll keep our phones open for our next guest as Kyla Lee from the Acumen Law Group will join us after the news with more on our new impaired driving laws. Time now, though, for Dooley Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at the new employer's health tax. Thanks, Sterling. Businesses across British Columbia are set to start paying the province's new employer's health tax on January 1st, 2019. The tax is being put in place to cover the costs of medical service plan premiums, but those premiums don't go away until January 1st, 2020. 
Here's Chris Sims, the BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We were speaking with everybody from Courtney to Cranbrook all this summer, and all of the mayors across BC are pleading with the provincial government to exempt them from this new employer health tax. Municipalities are already using the EHT as a reason why property taxes need to go up. Vancouver is proposing a 4.9% increase that would amount to an extra $41 next year for the median strata owner, an additional $108 for the median single-family homeowner, and a tax hike of $193 for the median business property owner. The EHT will lead to 1.7% increase in the city's budget next year. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. It's been quite a year for Prince Harry, now Duke of Sussex and a newlywed and expecting parent earlier this year. Before things got really busy, Harry decided to unload his Audi RS6 and went to autotrader.com, of course. With just over 7,000 clicks on the odometer and an original sale price of about 140000 before options, Harry listed his car at 120000 Now, we don't know the final selling price, but good for him for hitting the online scene to sell his car. Of course, the British car nut corner of the internet had a complete meltdown. Analysts, by the way, predicting 2019 will be a new record year for online car sales of all types, too. It's seems kicking the tires isn't quite as necessary as it once was for some buyers. Canada's first ever Bunny Cafe has been such a big hit in Vancouver, it's being held over, well, at least until tomorrow, December 30th. Cat Fay, that's Vancouver's Cat Cafe, earlier this month, Team Buff was Rabbitat's Rescue Society to host a pop-up Bunny Cafe. And over the holiday season, what timing, huh? And it's been such a hopping success, the meet and treat event has been held over. Tomorrow's the last day. It'll be open noon to five. Cat Fay is on the second floor of the International Village Mall near Chinatown. It's been around close to three years and features cat-themed beverages, snacks, and merchandise, as well, usually, as a dozen or so adaptable, adoptable rather, cats from the SPCA. But occasionally, they do run out of cats, which was the case last week. So they invited rabbitats to come in with some bunnies. So they brought in a couple dozen. Visitors pay by donation to rabbitats. They're given a couple of treats to feed the bunnies, and everybody is fine. And apparently, a few uh, adoptions are in the making. Don't forget TransLink is offering free transit services from 5 o'clock New Year's Eve until 5 a.m. New Year's Day. All SkyTrains and C-Buses will run extra late until about 2.15 a.m. And the New Year's Eve SkyTrain Dance Party kicks off at Waterfront Station, and that will go at 7.30 on Monday evening. All the details at TransLink.ca. If you're planning to head down for the big fireworks show and don't want to drive and park and all of those hassles, just check out translink.ca. They'll have you covered. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.